growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Victory. Say that word, victory. Say it like you really mean it. Victory. It's almost football season, and this time of year, pretty much everybody has high hopes of a great season. Teams have put in their hard work over the summer, and come week one of the season, every team will step onto the field with one goal in mind. Victory. Your theology should result in victory. Victory. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. This week we're continuing to make our way through the New Testament book of 1 John. This is now the third week Pastor Clay has been walking us through chapter 5, and if you've been with us through it, you know there's a lot to unpack in those 21 verses. So far, we've looked at how our theology shapes our reality and how our theology reveals our priority. Today, Pastor Clay is going to show us from John's letter how our theology should result in victory. Now, as he moves into this latter part of chapter 5, he really, he brings up some areas where you and I ought to have victory in our life. Like the football teams stepping onto the fields this fall, you and I, as part of the body of Christ, should step onto the field of life with every anticipation of victory. Let's dive in as Pastor Clay explains at least two areas where you and I can expect a result of victory. Professor uh, in preaching, Dr. Wayne McDill, great, great guy. He used to say preaching is like uh, bologna. So you just slice off as much as you need. And, uh, and I understand that principle, and I, and I think there's truth in that. Just Sometimes it's just, it's just good bologna, and it's, it's hard to, to shave that much off. Y'all know what I'm saying? So, so if we take an extra week, because and, and listen, I know what I'm, I'm, what I'm holding out for, because y'all know, if y'all have been here the last two weeks, we have read First John chapter 5, the entire thing, each week before I've started. And, and towards the end, there's that whole praying uh, for those that are in sin, but don't, don't bother paying for those who have sinned unto death. Uh, or he, or he, doesn't, he doesn't prohibit it, right? If you've read, he doesn't prohibit it. But he says, I, I'm not, he basically says, I'm not saying you can't pray for them, but you might as well not pray for those that have committed a sin unto death, Right? So you can't, just, you can't just throw that out there and not deal with it, right? So we have to take a little time next week to, to work on that one. But this week, uh, we're going to uh, chew on a little bit in, uh, from verses 11 through 15. And like I said, for the last two weeks, I've read the entire chapter. But I'm not going to do that uh, today uh, because I certainly want to make sure there's time for response at the end time and to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, together, and so we're uh, we're going to look at uh, a little bit of it this morning. But we're just going to read First John chapter five, uh, verses uh, eleven through fifteen. I'll read that in just a moment. So far in chapter five, uh, we've looked at uh, a couple of things, and we started uh, three, two, three weeks ago, whatever it was, with this idea that your theology shapes your reality. John starts out that idea in chapter five. With, he's winding up this letter. Remember, that's what it was. It was originally, it was a letter. It wasn't divided into chapters. It wasn't divided into verses originally. It was just a letter, an open letter that he wrote to the churches uh, in that area that would be influenced by him. He's writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing the divine word of God that is truth without any mixture of error. But it was written as a letter. And so he, as he's coming to the end of his letter, he begins to, to really 
focus in on, on several ideas, but he's pounding home this idea that, he, that he's been saying throughout the letter. And, and we started with the idea that your theology shapes your reality. That in the end, what you believe about God really will shape what you believe about almost virtually everything else in your life. It really will. And I could sit here and give you examples, but I don't think it's necessary. I think you understand that, that, that what a person, where their position is on their belief in God, that's going to shape pretty much what they believe about this and that, what they, what, how their politics go and, and how their view on this area goes or that or all that sort of thing. The second idea that we looked at was that your theology is revealed in your priority. John goes on through there a little bit further into chapter 5, and he basically begins to say that if you do have this belief in God, that, that then be, you'll see it. It will surface. It will become the priority of your life. What becomes important to you will, will focus around this belief in God that you have. And we spent some time looking at that. So today we're going to look at the, uh, the third idea and uh, at least uh, just the beginning of it. First uh, uh, John chapter 5, beginning this morning in verse 11. Y'all glad to be here? Yeah, all right. Y'all are kind of scattered around a few different places, but uh, uh, stay with me. First John chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Okay. It shapes your reality. It's revealed in your priority. Here's the third idea uh, in that grouping today. Your theology should result in victory. Say that word, victory. victory. Say it like you really mean it. Victory. victory. That, your reali- that your theology should result in victory. In this victory that should take place in your life. Now John has been, man, he's been pounding, right? Yeah, I know. I've said it over and over. John's been pounding home this idea of a proper theology. John knows the, the growing number of heresies in the church, even while he was still alive in the first centuries. He sees the false teachings. He sees the heresies coming into the church. He sees how they're affecting the church. And as I said, I think last week that I really believe that's at least part of the reason why God kept John around so long was because he was going to be around during a time when some of these heresies began to surface and he was going to be able to deal with them as an eyewitness, as, as a person who had been in the very presence of Jesus Christ. He could stand up and say, no, now wait a minute. I know that's what this guy is saying over here, but let me tell you what Jesus said. 
because I was there. And so they're, they're carried a, a sense of authority with him and he's dealing with these heresies. John also knew that heresies were going to continue to plague the church, that there was going to continue to be a, a growing number of false teachings spreading into the church. And it, it is true. It was true then. It's still true today. I've said it before. I'll say it again. That is why it is so vitally important that you and I establish a solid biblical theology, that we understand what we believe about God and why we believe what we believe about God. Because if we do, if we know the truth, then we're much more ready when a lie comes our way. We're much more able to recognize the faults when we know the truth. Some of you have probably heard this illustration before. It's been worn out. Uh, but I, it is true, by the way. I verified it because I've heard it so many times. Thought, well, I thought, is, is that really even true? But I verified it. I looked it up, and it is true that for federal agents who work in the area of counterfeit money, did you know that the beginning of their training, in, in, in the, the initial part of their training, they begin to study not counterfeit money, but they actually begin to study real money? That they study intently, intentionally, they study the, the paper that money is printed on. They study the feel of it. They study the, the texture of it. They, they study even the smell of it. They study the weight of it. They study the ink that is used in, to print real money. Nowadays, obviously, they study the holograms that are used on to study the, the real thing. So they study and they come to know the real thing so that, you already know, right? They are then able to recognize the faults, the fake, when it comes along. Same thing is true, spiritually speaking, for our lives. That if, we, that if we focus on studying the real thing, if we focus on studying the truth, on developing a theology that is based on Scripture, not what so-and-so said or what I heard or what I feel or what I think, but what does the Word of God say? If we develop a theology based on that, then we are much more able to recognize the lie when it comes along. Does that make sense? So John has said it and said it and said it and said it. But now, as he moves into this latter part of chapter 5, he really, he brings up some areas where you and I ought to have victory in our life if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, in a sense, isn't that the point? I mean, isn't the point in, in believing that you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for your sins and that you've committed your life to Him? Is the Part of the point of that is that you, you want to have victory in your life? You, you want to... Yeah? Come on now. Come on. It would help me if y'all would help me. Okay. So, uh, so now he comes in and he, and he really gives... I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but he g- gives at least four areas where victory is ours uh, if we have this belief, this proper theology about who God is. We're going to look at two of them today, but... Let's dive into them. The first one looks like this. We have victory over death. We have victory over death. One of the evidences for the existence of God... Now think about this, right? There's always there's debates going on, especially in America or in Europe. You see a lot of debates about the existence of God or not the existence of God. Is God real? Is not God not real? And there'll be debates on university campuses and there'll be books written for the existence of God and books written against the existence of God. And that's something that uh, is debated uh, around uh, in certain circles. 
But one of the evidences for the existence of God is the incurably religious nature of mankind. Mankind, humankind, is incurably religious. Yeah, I wonder why. There is, now listen, we all know this, there is a, uh, a small percentage, a very small percentage, well, I grant it, they, are, they make a lot of noise, but there, there truly is a very small percentage of people in this world that deny the existence of God, the belief in God, the existence, or the belief in a life after life, deny the existence of heaven, deny the existence of hell. There is a small percentage of the world's population that holds to that belief. The vast majority of the world's population believes in the existence of an afterlife. That when this one is over, when I take my last breath, when my heart beats its last beat, that I, there's somewhere that I'm going. And there's lots of different ideas out there, but the overwhelming majority of the world's population believes that there is something after this life. It is almost as if It is almost as if man instinctively knows. Almost as if it is programmed into man to know that the grave is not the end. As a matter of fact, do you know that's exactly what the Word of God says? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in. In their hearts. But man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Solomon's saying, it's there. Somehow we instinctively know God has put eternity in our hearts, but we can never fathom all that God has done and all that God is. But there it is. It's, it's instinctively placed into the heart of man to know that there is an eternity. That there is something more than the grave. So, John says, listen, we've got victory over death. And I want you to look, there's, there's at least there's two aspects that we can talk about uh, of this victory over death. The first one is this. It is exclusive, not elusive. John makes it very clear that, that there is this eternal life, right? One of the things that separates uh, Christianity, authentic Christianity from virtually every other religion on the face of the earth is our belief in how eternal life is secured. Virtually every other religion on the face of the earth, eternal life, in those religions, eternal life is essentially a moving target of of do's and don'ts, goods and bads, trying to do this or not trying to do that in the hopes that somehow it's going to be enough to get me in, right? Whether you're talking about uh, Mohammedism or Buddhism or Mormonism or whateverism, in the end, it almost always comes down to me, what I can do, what I shouldn't do, uh, what I should do, and the hope, the hope somehow that in, in that balance of scales, that my good against my bad, that somehow the good will outweigh the bad and it will be enough to get me in. 
And so, and so this idea of eternal life and this idea of heaven or, or whatever another religion might call it, the idea of going uh, to some place that, that is better than this place is this, as I said, it's this moving target that, boy, I hope I die on the right day or, or did I do enough or maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I, maybe I should give some more money or maybe I should, should help more this or maybe I should do that. And, and it just becomes this moving target. Not so. Not so with authentic Christianity. It is not elusive. It is not elusive at all. It is not hidden. It is right there in front of us. God says, this is how it is. You come to me through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not elusive, but it is very exclusive. Not exclusive, I do not believe, not exclusive in who can have it, but exclusive in how it is obtained. It is obtained through Christ and Christ alone. That's it. That's it. Look what uh, John says, uh, I think in verses 11 and, and 12. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his, say it, son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Period. End of story. That, that's it. Oh, it's not elusive. It, it's right here, here. Here's how it's obtained. It's obtained through not anything you do, not through any good works, not through this or that. You can't be bought. It can't be earned because it was already bought by Jesus Christ at the cross so that you could have it. It's not elusive. It's not a moving target. It's like, oh, did, oh, did I do that? Did I do that? Oh, I did, did, shouldn't have done that. No, this is how it comes. It comes through Christ, but it only comes through Christ. I know y'all know this, but you got to see it. Jesus uh, said this in John uh, 14, uh, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Maybe you've read this, Acts chapter 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. There's no other way. Well, golly gee, that, 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 that sounds, that sounds, uh, that sounds pretty non-politically correct to, to say that, that kind of stuff. I know it does, doesn't it? That's pretty politically incorrect. Well, I, I, that, that just, that just sounds Pretty, pretty narrow to say that there's only one way. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you feel that way, why don't you lodge a complaint with the ACLU, see how far that gets you. Because God has never apologized for determining how mankind has access to him. He's never apologized for the fact that he's made one way. And by the way, the reason he made one way is because there's only one way for your sins to be forgiven. And that's through the body and blood of Jesus Christ represented in these elements today. That's the only way your sins can be forgiven. And without your sins being removed, you cannot be in the the presence of holy God. it's, It's not elusive. But it is exclusive. And, and I know that's a stumbling block for some people. I talk to some people sometimes that that's just, oh, I just, I just can't believe that God would just make one way. And you know what you have to do in the end? You show people scripture, but you say, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't make up the rules. God did. 
And God said, this is it. And in the end, you and I, and it's hard sometimes, right? Because, you know, oh, we so want to see people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. But in the end, God's the one that saves people. He's the one that draws them and saves them. You and I present the truth. And if a person rejects that truth and, and a person says, no way, Jesus is not the only way. Or, or, or I can get there on my own. Or I can be good enough. Or, there, or I can follow Muhammad. Or I can do that. Listen, the truth is, Muhammad couldn't pay for your sins. Moses couldn't pay for your sins. Buddha couldn't pay for your sins. And you and I can't pay for our sins. And without the remission of sin, without the remission of our sins, there's no forgiveness. It just can't happen. It's not elusive. It's not, but it is exclusive. And, and, it, and it's okay to say that. Here's the second aspect of this victory that we have in, in death. It is now and then. It is now and then. Then, look what uh, John writes in verse 13. He says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, watch this, so that you may know you have eternal life. Here it is. Look at it up on the, up on the screen. Uh, ekte, uh, zoen ekte ionion is the way it says it in the Greek. Life you have eternal. Now, uh, I, I know it probably doesn't matter to you, what I want you to see is this present, continuous, tense verb usage that is, that is all through the, the scriptures when it's talking about this life that you have. Zoein, life, ekte ionion, eternal. Life you have, eternal. Listen, eternal life is not something you have to wait until you die to receive. Eternal life is what you have right now if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Certainly, without question, the, the full culmination, of uh, the, the full expression of that eternal life uh, won't, won't be until heaven, and until, until eternity, before we'll, we'll be in this place of, of continual peace and, and, and the glory of the Lord and, and joy unending and a place where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartaches, no more, uh, pro- no more anything like that. Oh, what... It's fantastic. But why in the world would I wait until I step over the line before I step over into eternity? Why in the world would I wait until then if I don't have to wait until then to enjoy some of the, the, the benefits of what it means to have eternal life? Why would, I, why would you do that? You've read this. Jesus said this. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it, say it, abundantly. Say it again, abundantly. Say it one more time, abundantly. One translation translates it, that I might have life to the full. Certainly doesn't mean that there aren't days or time periods of our life of heartache, disappointment, disillusionment at times, bitterness, uncertainty, questions, Drama. We got to wait till, truly, we got to wait till heaven till, till we experience those type of days, right? We do have days like that in our life. Maybe you're in a season of that of your life right now. We do have days like that. But what John is saying, what the New Testament overall is saying, what the Word of God overall is saying, is that you can have God's peace and purpose and power in your life right now. You just got to tap into it. If you know God, 
in a personal way, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, you know him. And in, 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 as the scripture describes, this life-altering, life-changing knowing him. Then eternal life is something that you can experience in your life. You'll have your bad days. You'll have your stuff. You'll have your... But to have this in our lives, here, now, not just then. It's, it's here, it's now, and then, someday. Okay, so there's this victory that we have over death. John says, you have the Son. I mean, you have the Son. We've walked through, we walked through First John. He's gone to great lengths to explain what it really means to have the Son, to really have a relationship with Him. Because if you have the Son, you have the life. You don't have the Son, you don't have life. Here's all I'm saying to you before we move on. If you've lived your life in such a way that you have depended on, on some other religion or you've depended on yourself and enough good works to somehow get you in, God says, no, nah, that's, that's not the way I did it. That's not what I provided. That is not a possibility. It must come through my son. It's not elusive. It's right there for the taking, but it is exclusive. You have to come through Christ. And when you do, you can experience that life in your life right now on a daily basis. You can begin to explore and to experience what it is to have eternal life. Here's the second area of victory today. Victory over death and victory over doubt. Particularly or specifically in the area of our prayer life. Verse uh, 14 now, that, that area of our prayer life, it continues on next week with the, when he begins to talk about praying for those who, who we see in sin and, and that kind of thing. But it starts here in verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he, what? Hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. We can have victory over doubt in our life when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to praying to God and, and, and praying for God to do something or to act or to show us something or, or to whatever the case may be. We can have victory in this area of our life. And I know a lot of people that can struggle in this area. And listen, I, listen I'm going to tell you this. I'll be the first to admit that, that prayer, I think I said it even this morning in our, in our group prayer, that the setup team and everybody, we try and pray every morning as we're beginning. Uh, and I think I even said it this morning, is that prayer in many respects is a mysterious thing. There is much about prayer that I will confess to you that I do not understand. I do not always understand why, why one person is prayed for and physically they seem to be healed. Another person is prayed for and they are not physically healed. Why uh, this is prayed and that person gets miraculously saved and this person is prayed for and you don't see anything happen. And th- th- there's mystery in this, I, I honestly, uh, but it is a very important area of our lives. And I wish I had time to delve more deeply into it. I don't have all the answers, but God has taught me some things about prayer, I think, through the years. And uh, I don't have time to deal with it today, but I, I've, all, I've thought lately that if I ever write another book, that I, I will take on this subject. I'll, ta- I'll tackle the subject of prayer. I've even got a title already. Solving the Prayer Puzzle, The Purpose, Process, and Power of Prayer. Dr. Clay Stevens. <laughs> I don't, Tyler designed that for me. This is a, thanks, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler designed that for me. Because I, I don't have time to deal with it all today. You, you just can't. Uh, but, but I do know this. I know that, there, that we can have victory over, uh, uh, over doubt in the area of our sin life. So 
uh, what's, what's the next slide I've got, guys? Uh, yeah, here we go. Here's, here's how that breaks down to. Uh, we need to, here, here's the areas that we need to think about. We need to pray confidently to God. John opens that part. He says, this is the confidence that we have. Do you know what confidence is? And I don't, I think y'all understand it. I'm not saying, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm so holy. I'm such a prayer warrior. Uh, you know, I'm, it's not the confidence that we have in us. It's the confidence that we have in the one that we're praying to. John says, this is the confidence that we have. That we can, that we can go and we can pray to this, uh, to this God and know that he hears it. You need to pray confidently, not arrogantly, not presumptuously, but pray confidently because, prayer, because confidence, when we're talking about in the spiritual realm, think about it, confidence is a demonstration of faith, is it not? If I am confident that, uh, that I'm going to run a sub four-minute mile, I'm delusional. <laughs> but, but, I, but, but if you understand that, that, that there's prayer... If I'm confident in my prayer, it is a demonstration of faith. And what does faith do? What does faith do? Faith pleases God. Isn't that what Scripture says? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's, it's quite appropriate to turn that around and then say, with faith, it, we, we are pleasing God. To act, to live, to demonstrate prayer in our life is something that honors and pleases God. And so we have absolute confidence that we can pray to Him. Right? So pray, you need to pray confidently. You need, you're confident in him. God, I know you're, here's what you're praying. God, I know you're a good God. God, I know you're an all-powerful God. God, I know that you love me because that's, that's, your word is saturated with that. And God, you've proven it to me so many times in your life. God, I can pray to you in absolute confidence in who you are and, and in your concern for me. That's why I can come to you in absolute confidence today. Right? But here it is, right? This is always, this is always the, the million-dollar question. Because what is it? What does it say there? Yeah, yeah, there it is. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There it is. There's the million dollar question. But how, how, do I, how do I know if it's God's will or not? How do I know if I'm praying? How do I know if this is God's will or not? Well, let me say this. There are, what time? Okay. There are, uh, there are some things that it's just easy to know what is God's will. Easy. For instance, is it God's will that you or I lust? No, right? See, y'all don't even have to think about that. Y'all don't even have to pray about that one, right? You knew that it's not God's will that we lust, right? Because lust is dishonoring to God. Because lust focuses on the flesh and not the, not the spiritual aspect of our lives. Lust is, is dishonoring to your, to your spouse if you if you're happen to be married. Lust is even is dishonoring to the person that you're lusting towards because it focuses on the, on, 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 makes them just a sexual object and instead of the, this person created in God's image. So you, do, you know that. You know what God's word, you just, you just knew it. No, it's, God doesn't want us to lust. So, are we tempted to lust? Guys, are we tempted to lust? Sure. And, and that's not to say that ladies can't be tempted to lust too. I'm just, so... If, we, if we're tempted in that area of our life, and it, it could be a singular incident, some beautiful woman comes walking down the street and she's scantily clothed, or can I say scantily clothed in here? Okay, all right, just, just checking. I never know. Pushing the limits. 
Okay, whatever the case is. Or it could be an ongoing something, this person's presence, right? Whatever the case may be. We know God does not want to. So, here, here we go. So I can pray confidently. God, when I am tempted to lust or to look lustfully at a person that is not my spouse, it's okay to want your spouse. Y'all, y'all with me? But God, it, it, God, it, when, I, when this happens or that person, when I'm t- God, would you send the Spirit, would you send your Holy Spirit to penetrate my heart in that instant, in that moment, would you bring deep conviction into my life uh, and, and remind me that I should turn away right now and I should not entertain that thought, that, that visual, that I should not entertain it in the least. God, would you bring conviction? It's something that comes up on the internet, whether it's something a person, would you bring conviction into my life? Listen, that is a prayer you can have absolute confidence in that God is going to answer. Why? Because it is in God's will that you not lust. And so in that moment, you can have full assurance that God is going to send the Spirit of God to bring conviction into your heart and life. If you know Him as your Lord and Savior, you can expect the Spirit to show up if you have asked Him to do that in your life. Why? Because that's His will. Now, I am of the belief that whether we respond to the Spirit's conviction and turn away from the, from the lustful opportunity or, or, or temptation when it comes, whether we respond to that may be another thing, but you can pray with absolute confidence that God is going to absolutely answer that prayer. And I, I just use that at once. You can think of a million things that you automatically know God would not want you to do. And you can pray confidently. Now, the question is, what about things that, that maybe I just I don't, just automatically know. What if, what if I wanted, uh, I, I've got an opportunity to take uh, another uh, job and, and I really want to be in God's will. Uh, so uh, h- how do I pray that one? Uh, how, do I, how do I know if it's God's will for me to pray this or not? Okay, pray confidently. But here, here's the second one here. You got to pray closely to God. Here, here's what I mean by that. Folks, you got, you got to know God. You want to hear God? You want to know what God's will is for your life? You've got to know God. I mean, you've got to, you've got to get before... Here, I, even, I wrote that little thing here just for just a little doodad. You've got to get alone with God. You've got to get on your face before God. You've got to get in the Word of God. And you've got to wait until you get an answer from God. That's what you've got to do. That's what I mean. You've got to pray closely to God. You want to hear what he's saying? Well, what is God? I don't know what God's will is. Get with God. And, and this is so hard for us as Americans because we're like, wow, it's been 10 minutes. I, I'm, what if it's 10 hours? What if it's 10 days? What if it's 10 years? I don't know. I'm just saying that you and I have to develop this relationship with God so that we know him more closely, more deeply, more intimately. Because the closer you are to a person, the easier it is for you to hear what they're saying to you. You've got to pray closely. You've you, you got to... You got to get with God. You want to hear His will. Now, there's there's some other. I wish I had more to say about how you how you know His will. I, I just you have to read the book. But I just I don't. Here's the third idea this morning: pray cleanly to God. Listen, this is just this is just a biblical principle. Don't eat, you, listen. If there we all sin, right? That's not John has been talking about this all through his letter. He's not saying we don't sin. He's made it clear at the very beginning that that if anybody says they don't sin, they're a liar. But John has consistently said that what we cannot have in our life is a practice, an ongoing practice or, or, 
or this ongoing thing of sin in our life. We all mess up at times. We all sin. And we should be quick to recognize it and repent and turn from it. But what John is talking about is this ongoing thing of sin. Yeah, I'm doing this or I like this or I don't care what somebody at the church thinks or I don't care what the Bible says. I, I like this. I'm going to do this. I'm not turning away from this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just telling you right now. And that can happen in any of our lives. And I'm just telling you right now that God is saying, talk to the hand because I'm not listening. I will not. Honor your life while you are dishonoring me by living in some whatever the sin is. Don't expect me to respond to you at that point in your life. We have to pray cleanly before God. Not, we're not perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, you've got to come into my presence, living your life according to my will. And when we do that, we can go with confidence, believing that God hears our prayers. And listen, why wouldn't God answer our prayers the way that is best for us? He's, he loves us. He's our father. Those of you that are fathers, that are dads, don't don't you want to do for your kids? Don't you want to do the best you can for them, for what is best for them? And dads, y'all are like so much, you're so much better. It's not like, that's not like granddad thing, right? Granddads are like, sure, yeah, whatever, yeah. 10 pounds of candy, sure. This, that, whatever. No, granddad doesn't, a dad doesn't, dad says no. No, that'll, that'll stunt your growth. (laughs) That'll, that'll ruin your supper, that'll, no, you can't go play in, in uh, I-40. No, you can't. That's what a dad does. So sometimes it's no, but it's always based on love. And so we can pray with absolute confidence that God is going to do that. And there's more to say about that next week. But if you know Jesus Christ, if you know you have this proper theology, you understand who he is and what he's done for you, and you've accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, then folks, you can absolutely know with confidence that God loves you. He's desired for you. He even commands you to come to him and pray. The writer of Hebrews says, come boldly into the presence of God and know that he hears you. We've got to pray confidently. We've got to pray close to him. We've got to pray cleanly. If we do, all of these victories, and there'll be more to talk about next week, all of these victories are secured because of the victory that occurred at the cross and the empty tomb. All the only weapons Jesus needed to secure the ultimate victory for us was his body and his blood. His body broken, his blood shed, represented in these elements that you see before you today. Remembering is a big part of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, would y'all say that with me, please? This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, if you'll say it with me, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, as I said at the beginning of today's message, there is a lot to unpack in 1 John chapter 5, and there's still more to hear next week. But as Pastor Clay reminded us today, when we know who God is and we know Him as our Savior and Lord, there is every assurance that we have victory over death and victory over doubt. 
For those of us in Christ Jesus, eternal life is a sure thing, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Knowing that we are secure in the family of God also means that we can go to our Father in prayer and have no doubt that if we're asking for something that's according to His will, He's not only going to hear our prayers, He's going to accomplish what we are asking for. How exciting it is to know that the victory has already been won. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.